and welcome back to Social Biology. I'm your co-host, Jeremy. And I'm your co-host, Morgan. And here we are, this wonderful holiday season. It's good to be here. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a sad break. I've missed this, so this I look forward to. Yeah, no, I the last time we recorded, I think it was it was like the beginning of December, I think. That's when the last time. Yeah, I, I want to say it was like three weeks ago. Yeah, it was probably three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so how was your holiday season, Morgan? Oh, it was wonderful. Um, you know, it's funny. I think the last time we canceled the podcast, I think I said, hey, my wife's kind of having some issues. Uh, it was a Tuesday. And I was like, hey, I, I I don't think I can do tonight. And like two hours later, she went into labor. Oh, well, so good thing, huh? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's been a fun holiday season over at my house. Yeah, that would have been quite the episode. Like, oh, and we have live labor. Like, <laughs> honey, you can wait, sweetie. Stop! I'm in the Can't middle. Can't you hold of it, it yeah, in or no, something? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, suck it up. Don't push. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, yeah, my holiday season. It's been good. Been stressful and relaxing, kind of at the same time. Uh. Having a newborn during a pandemic means nobody comes to visit you. I mean, so. I say it's a blessing more than a curse. Yeah. But yeah, probably not absolutely. for your family who wants to see it. Yeah, not for her. my parents. Yeah. But for me, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Him. Okay. I, it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that. him. <clears throat> that. Yeah. For some reason, my def- <laughs> in my mind, the default chromosomal orientation of anything is female. And yeah. they have to constantly remind me that it's it's a male. Uh, that happens with pets, usually. I'm like, oh, it's a cute kitty. And like, how is she doing? And they're like, well, it's a boy. And then like a week later, I'm like, oh, how's your cat? I heard she's sick. <laughs> and they're like, it's a guy, but he's doing great. I'm like, oh, I don't know why. It just, yeah, it always defaults to that. But, I think we should just let you determine the gender of everything. Yeah, I mean, I can just, we can measure some hormone levels and do some brain scans when it's older and, and see what it likes. And of course... Ask it what it wants. <laughs> That's the, probably the oh, main got factor. Got my dog right by me. Rocky, what do you like? Oh, he's, he's right he there. Didn't say anything. Yeah, he's here with hopefully me. Hopefully, doesn't. He's chilling with me. Hopefully, you don't wake him up or something. Oh no, he's good. No, he's all good. Does he look like you, or does he look like your wife? So it's it's actually funny. He one hundred percent looks like me, except oh, for no. when he's mad. When he's mad, oh, he looks like my wife. And my wife got <laughs> m- mad at me for saying that. But then the first time she saw him mad, she freaked out and was like, he does look like me when he's mad. So, yeah, it's pretty funny. Oh, man. So you kind of got the worst of both, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that and he's a redhead. So. Oh, no. Oh, well. Yeah. Maybe next time. Yeah. Oh, well. Yep. Actually, yeah, I didn't think about it. Because yeah. you're not like a strong redhead. So I, wa- I was when I was a kid. Okay. Very strong redhead. But uh, I grew out of it. It's curable. If I had, when I first met you, I I don't you get because you have some other things. But I don't think I would have automatically been like, oh yes, you know, a redhead. Uh, but yeah, no. Over time, I think you've convinced me. Uh, <laughs> it's really uh, what does that mean? Oh, you know, common common redhead stereotypes. <laughs> no, what does that mean? <laughs> Why am I unaware of this? Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, it's something to do I don't know there's something kind of like when someone is Jewish like there's not one thing that makes them Jewish but then when they tell you like yes I can totally see it like you know there's of course like this stereotypical like oh yeah look at his nose or whatever but I know a lot of Jewish people who have really small noses so it's not just one thing it's like this overall thing the main thing is the voice for Jewish people no offense to Jewish people but they they, again it's a generalization they tend to have a particular kind of voice that is I almost uniquely them. And so I think something about you, Morgan, is somewhat redheadish. And I'm going to say I'm not <laughs> seeing the connection to being a redhead. I don't want to say anything okay. very specific. Um, nothing bad, I would say. But it's <laughs> Oh, okay. That you would say. Yeah, yeah. And it, yeah. I mean, of course, I'm very polite. I don't usually say things that are mean-spirited in any way so well well that's interesting (laughs) 
But yeah, okay, well, yeah, never good. gonna look at you the same again. Well, you did, you did bring up the Just pandemic, a racist um, against redheads. With, uh-huh. <laughs> good, trying to, I'm trying to scurry away from anything offensive I've said. Oh, yeah, let's change the yeah. subject. Let's go uh-huh. on to yeah. a global health yeah. crisis and see if we can do something about that. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so what I so I'm trying to think, kind of phrase this. So one of the most fascinating things I remember learning is like just genetics in general, but like how you've always heard that like DNA is the blueprint to what like living things are. Correct. Yeah. It's a very common phrase, Um, but Mm -hmm. it's not often stated like exactly how that is. Right. Do you, do you know the connection between DNA and like what you are right now? Um, As in uh, homo sapien? No, like how to, well, I guess in general, like, how does DNA, how does this thing make you? Like, how how does it map and piece together to make me yes, specifically? specifically? Or anything, um, I would say, even. Hmm. Like, what is, like, it's, people aren't aware, like, the anything. mechanism of how DNA actually makes living things. Now, okay, you're not making me look <laughs> dumb, but you're making me think about something that I remember learning, uh-huh. that it's some way that it's read that identifies it, you are this... Um, but no, I, nothing comes to mind immediately. Uh, yeah. I mean, and I, again, like, and it took me a a few years into my, uh, university schooling that I was like, oh yeah, I never really, like, I kind of thought about it. Like, oh yeah, you always hear that DNA, like, is the building block or whatever of life. Uh huh. The blueprint or the backbone. The blueprint, the background, the the, the plan, whatever you want to call it. Skeleton. Yeah. But if you think about it, it's like, well then, because like, if you think of a literal blueprint of a building, it's really easy to see like, oh, yes, here is the blueprint and I can see it. And this is how we make the house, right? Like it's very clear. Everything. Yeah, it's uh-huh. very clear yeah. how it works. Whereas with DNA, it's not clear at all. Like it's not inherently. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. when I when I think of a blueprint, I would think like a, you know, very ordered, stackable, visual, multiple layers and pages. But like when I think about DNA, I don't think of it as so organized like that. It just seems like a long strand of something, and somehow that makes yeah. you like it doesn't. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Anyway, so what I'm basically this is in general, it's called like the central dogma of of like biological life, which it's kind of funny because the word dogma generally refers to like an irrefutable religious base. Yeah, like a, a truth based on faith of sorts. Exactly, uh-huh. yeah. And it's kind of like people, the modern geneticists, they kind of wish it wasn't called this. It was coined by, I want to say, one of the first discoverers of DNA, like, you know, 70 or maybe even farther back, how many years ago? Um, and they're like, well, it's not really a dogma because a dogma means that it can't change, but it's just been called that. So if you ever Google, like, central dogma, I'm not sure if it's of, like, life or DNA or whatever. That's basically you're going to get this. Um, and it has changed. So, but yeah, it has this weird name to it. So it's not a dogma. It's not a dogma, but yeah, it's but. <laughs> called the central dogma. Um, and there's okay. even like, it's there's also like the, like the expanded dogma, which is like, because we've learned so much more, it kind of goes into greater detail, all the exceptions to the dogma, which again, doesn't, that's not, so it's technically not a dogma, but anyway, that's what it's called. So huh. essentially... Um, and this is this is very common and or very clear in more simple organisms. But basically, what a, what DNA actually does is that it linearly codes for proteins that then perform functions. That's probably the most basic thing way I can kind of say it, and I'll go into more detail. So, just just so I make sense of it, it's a code written for proteins to read and then go perform actions. Go make something out so of actually, it. So actually, well, that's half true. So it's a code written. Not not make something out of it, but react to. So it's a it's a code, and you're mm-hmm. right that proteins technically are the ones that read it, but the, basically uh-huh. it, the proteins read it and then synthesize the proteins that the DNA is coding for. Okay, so it's not necessarily an action taken. It's something created. Yes, and again, this is in general okay. because the more we learn uh-huh. about DNA, there are actually some parts of the DNA more- that – do what you just said, which kind of act like a oh, catalyst, okay. which is... but in, So I am smart. Exactly. You, but, you have <laughs> no, seen yeah, the future. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. But in awesome. but the primary um, function of DNA is, yes, is to kind of be a reservoir for coding for protein. 
And there are kind of basically three parts or three steps that this happens. So first thing first is the DNA itself. So the DNA is made up of four different nucleotides. Um, you see that just kind of repeated over and over again. And these molecules, so the AGCA, those four molecules are very simple. And so they're basically, they really are just molecules. They're not very complex. Mm-hmm. And the order in which they come in um, determines the protein that will be synthesized. So, which is why your DNA needs to be extremely long because it's like approximately every three nucleotide pairings, like it's it's ACA or GCA or whatever it may be, any combination of those four letters, uh, essentially codes for a protein. Uh huh. And there are like there there are very there are a lot more complex things to it. Like there are some DNA sequences that don't code for anything. There are some that are just there to anchor certain points, or whatever. But like I said, the more simple the organism becomes, generally the simpler the DNA is, and it, its basic functionality uh-huh. is this. Um, the less complex it needs to be and be reading. Exactly. Yeah. It, yeah. Okay. If you get uh-huh. into very simple bacteria, and then again, even viruses. Although we'll get into viruses a little bit later. That's essentially how they work. It doesn't really have that much more to it. Um, and so your DNA, it's very precious. Like the DNA is like the recipe, like the master recipe. And so you don't want to expose it too much to any outside influences because it can, it's very easily mutated. It's very easily damaged. Um, and so basically in order to read it, it's, it's generally in its own special area and a copy of the instructions are made using proteins and that's generally called RNA. So if mm-hmm. you think about DNA is like the master, you know, the the master copy, the original source. The RNA is like somebody mm-hmm. a describe, it's called transcribe. It's been transcribed into a slightly different language of RNA. It uses a, a different nucleotide, but it still functions the same way and the RNA can then be read to make proteins. Okay, so is it um, so it's not an exact copy. Uh, n- it's not an exact copy because it uses too. a different nucleotide. But mm-hmm. in every instance where you have, so it, it basically okay. asks like the same thing, but it's also yeah. So how different is that A molecule to the T molecule? So it makes it so that RNA is weaker when it binds. So generally DNA is double stranded, um, mm-hmm. and only one strand is needed for the the protein. But it bonds, it, it gets double-stranded because it's a lot more stable and it's a lot more protected. And so RNA is a lot less stable. You don't want your RNA to be binding to anything that's floating out there. And so uh-huh. RNA, double-stranded RNA, I think does actually technically exist, but it's it's pretty, it's a lot rarer. And so it makes it so it's a lot easier to read as a, like a single floating strand rather than something that clumps together. Huh. And so it being easier to read leaves wider potential for some sort of disruption or something that you don't want made? Uh, as, yeah, so RNA is kind of meant to be temporary because RNA eventually mm-hmm. or pretty quickly gets destroyed because it's kind of in uh-huh. this weakened state. Um, but hopefully uh-huh. before it gets destroyed, it will be read into a protein and probably like maybe hundreds or even thousands of copies of that protein before it's actually destroyed. Huh, okay. Um, and so it's, I, I guess the, the, the analogy I want to use is you ever see those very old automatic pianos that they read the strip of paper that has like these dots in them and it can play a yeah, song. Yeah, they, they're like punched and it reads each of the punches. Yes. And, yeah. And so essentially what happens is you have these things called ribosomes and there are these proteins that are floating around and their sole job is to find and attach to RNA and to read them like in a strip. Basically like that, like those automatic pianos where it'll just kind of run through the strip and every, you know, every so often or every, sorry, every third instance of this RNA, it'll attach a protein to it. And then you'll make a strand of what is called a protein. And therefore you'd make whatever the instruction says to make. And those proteins, like I said, proteins can are a lot more complex than DNA because there are 21 like amino acids versus four nucleotides four nucleotides uh-huh. uh so basically and so as i said in your body almost everything that does anything is protein and so those makes enzymes that, that like insulin's a protein uh, of course like your muscles are protein any kind of 
uh, excretion humans or any animal make is a protein. So protein, so basically, yeah, though that instruction becomes protein, those proteins perform very specific functions, and that makes you alive, right? So, <laughs> huh? <laughs> so that is like the the very generalized brief overview of how DNA is actually a blueprint to what you are. Okay. Uh, and I think it's very important to understand that when you talk about DNA, it's not just in an abstract form. Like you have every cell in your body has DNA and everything you eat has DNA. Like it's in everything. And it's able to do these things because it reacts. It has a, basically like a chemical reaction that enables it to perform a function. So the DNA mm-hmm. is only as good as what can read it. Uh-huh. So, yeah. So it's only as good as the proteins that are... Yeah, if you find a piece of DNA that is lying in a, in a ditch somewhere, it's not going to do anything. It's it, not worth it's anything. It's not worth anything, yeah. It's just this information. Exactly. Uh, but which is why sometimes you'll find like really... You can find extremely old, let's say like dinosaur bones. And if the conditions are right, the cells are fossilized or in any way trapped. You can find the DNA in there because it's it's in a chain. It's very simple. It, it can degrade pretty easily. But if the conditions are right, you can find it. Um but just because you have the DNA of something doesn't mean you can make that thing. I was going to say, are you alluding to Jurassic Park <laughs> being possible? Uh, yeah, I'm alluding it to being a lot less possible than people would like to think it is. Uh-huh. Uh, because like we a, have... A we, lot less possible than My- Michael Crichton's mind. Exactly. Yeah. But, I mean, who's yeah. who's Michael Crichton? Is that... <laughs> the the author of Jurassic Park. Oh, okay. Park. I was but, like... <laughs> yeah, no. Sorry. Sorry. No. Yeah. I, I always heard that Jurassic Park was a series of books. I just I've literally never seen them ever. Like oh really, really? Yeah, they're great. They're fantastic. Oh, you've read them? Yeah, I, the first couple. Yeah, the first couple. How many are there? I don't know. I'm not sure how many there are, but uh, I know that the books are widely acclaimed to be better than any movie past the first one. I mean, people say that. Um, and I'm not like boohooing books or movies. Generally, I agree that books are better than movies. But I mean, mm-hmm. the movies are great. Like, come on. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so there are. <laughs> so sorry. Yeah. No, no, no that's, tangent. No, no, Looking it, up Jurassic Park. No, it's great, <laughs> and it's true. It's because when Jurassic Park was made, this was like in the I want to say it was early '90s, and maybe was it late '80s? I thought it, no. Anyway, I'm not sure when it was, but I'm pretty sure it's early '90s. Like DNA was just barely becoming a like a public knowledge topic. Um, like DNA uh-huh. tests hadn't even even been introduced in most forensic sciences, like in, in, in almost any country, even uh-huh. though it had been studied for decades. This is like the 90s. I would say mid to late 90s was when we started saying, hey, we can actually use this in everyday life, not just study in a lab. Mm-hmm. So it's and it's still something like it's a huge point of study now. Uh, like you've heard about like, oh, like the human genome was sequenced and people understand what that means. But not really, uh-huh. like because there's so many different yeah, humans but, and everyone has different has a, you know your own unique set of DNA. How is there a quote unquote human genome? You know, like <laughs> human genome. Yeah, exactly. And basically, that just means that we've sequenced all, almost ev- like the vast majority of variations within DNA. So, in um, most humans, almost all the DNA is identical because um, DNA has to perform some very basic functions. Like I guess like seventy or eighty percent of your DNA has to do with just keeping you alive and that same those same sequences are identical in almost every living mammal because like everything needs mm-hmm. to make like red blood cells and operates in a similar way exactly yeah, yeah. which is why someone's exactly. like oh yeah you share like you know 70 percent of your dna with a banana like yeah because bananas yeah, that, that was the example <laughs> i was gonna use yeah uh-huh. it's because bananas have to do almost almost everything you do like it has to make atp it has to make all of its proteins it has to you know we and that 30 percent makes a of difference even like you get the same thing with chimpanzees or like 98 or 99 percent similar to chimpanzees it's because we're so similar in form and in function and that 0.5 percent is actually very important in distinguishing something from in one distinguishing another. yeah Makes us very different. It makes us very different. And in humans, like, you know, from one quote unquote race to another, the difference is 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 minuscule. Like it is like if that small of a difference can make a human into a chimpanzee, like the even smaller difference between another human, even from around the world, is actually pretty insignificant if you think about it. Oh really? Um That's interesting. Yeah. 
like I mean, like right now, so genetic tests have become very common. Uh, like you go to Ancestry or Twenty Three and Me, and it can tell you where our best guess where your genes come from. And we're getting into that point because we've sequenced so much DNA from those places. We're we're looking for very tiny differences in people, like sometimes just a single gene that places them in Norway or in England. It's not like someone is so vastly different from an Englishman that that there's a clear test, and which is why sometimes those tests are tied. Uh-huh. Yeah, sometimes those tests are very inaccurate because it's like, well, it's very easy because the the differences are so tiny that we can be completely wrong. Uh, because there's not a huge difference between people. Oh, that's interesting. Uh-huh. Which is, it is interesting because if you look at people, they look very different from a human perspective. Like some of them can be seven feet tall. Some of them can be midgets. Some of them have really dark skin, light skin. Some of them are really like wide. Some of them are really skinny. And so the morphology of humans is very distinct from the actual changes in DNA. Hmm. Um, it's interesting. And a lot of that has to do with, uh, it's called epigenetics. Epigenetics is even though you can have two identical strands of DNA, let's say twins, because uh, identical twins are literally identical. They have the same DNA and the same like fingerprints, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. But as they get older, you, they actually are different. And that's because they are being um, influenced by different external stimuli and therefore that stimuli changes how uh their body actually reacts and And that's called you said epigenetics epigenetics it's basically how outside factors directly influence how dna is read um your genes huh like there were some pretty interesting studies in mice and rats which i would say that we are not mice and rats that's one of my pet peeves is when people Say like, oh, look, this study, like this rat was given opium and like this result was had. Like, yes, that's maybe true for that one study for those rats. But oh, you remember I'll volunteer that. volunteer for that study. Exactly. Yeah. But rats are not human. Just kidding. Like, it's, yeah, no. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, why I'm volunteering. I got it. After this over, I got to send you this hilarious video I just saw. But it has to do with opium. Okay. It has to do with drugs and opium. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, rats are like sometimes rats can react very differently to things that humans don't. Um, like, like for example, there are some things that are very toxic to rats and mice that are nowhere near as toxic for humans. Uh, in uh-huh. fact, like one of my favorite ones is chocolate. Humans are very unique. In fact, that we can eat chocolate. Almost every single mammal cannot eat chocolate. I was gonna say that there's so many different animals out there that cannot eat things that we eat. Um, uh-huh. I don't know. I, yeah, for example, when I got when I got my dog. Uh, like he can't have avocado, he can't have grapes, he can't have certain olives and chocolate, and I always wondered what made it so distinct um, that we're able to do that. And then, yeah, come to find out, we're basically one of the only mammals that can eat chocolate. That was kind of crazy. Yeah, for, me for to sure. Find out. Uh, even things like uh, hot peppers, like anything with capsaicin, that is designed to deter mammals from eating them because birds can't actually detect capsaicin. So birds can eat like a habanero and be perfectly fine. And the seeds want to be in a bird's digestive system, not in a human digestive system. But we just mammals or mostly humans are like, oh, I like the hot, spicy burn. Let me eat this thing. Really? Like, <laughs> so we're not supposed to eat that. No, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a defense against us, right? It's like <laughs> it's, that's hilarious. I'm choking. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I had habaneros yesterday. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah, it's this weird. Humans are so weird, and like, yeah, this uh-huh. thing hurts and burns, and like all the way through my body. I let me it. eat more of it. Like, let me make a hotter <laughs> Frankenstein exactly version of I this think. thing. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I think. Uh, yeah. So yeah, you can just see birds eat hot peppers like nothing because they literally can't taste them. But anyway. So, so why is it that they prefer to be digested by birds? So usually... Um, is that for like distribution? Yes, it's distribution basically mm-hmm. or it's the digestive process in the bird that makes the seed more fertile when it's kind of pooped out. Um, oh, that's interesting. Some of them are because they it wants to be like the seed wants to be planted on a branch of another tree and it's like a parasitic plant. And therefore, if it's on the ground, it actually can't do anything. But if it's like pooped onto a branch, it'll actually germinate and grow into the tree and kind of become like uh, mistletoe is is a parasitic plant that does that. 
the little really? yeah the little mistletoe berries they're not I don't know they're they're not lethal in small quantities but they're not they make you sick uh, but with birds they don't make them sick at all and they want birds to eat them poop them out poop onto another branch and then that thing can grow into the tree and become a parasite so oh that's super interesting <laughs> i had no idea that was a thing yeah yeah so that's anyway so yeah those are the differences <laughs> and like even my new differences can make a big and so going back to like the dna rna and everything so there's many different kinds of rna uh, which is why you'll hear like mRNA, which is the RNA that ribosomes will read. M stands for messenger, so it's messenger RNA. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why, in, in the first place, I want to talk about it is because of the new uh, COVID-19 vaccine. It's an mRNA vaccine, which most people have never heard of, and it sounds kind of scary. So I wanted mm-hmm. to kind of talk to you in particular what that vaccine actually does. Okay, that's good because I have heard very little about the vaccine. I know it's been made, but yeah. It's made, And it's actually starting distribution. Like a million Americans have received the mRNA vaccine against COVID-19. Yeah, some, uh, some people are streaming themselves receiving the vaccine. It's pretty uh, funny. Yeah, I know like uh, on TV, like Mike Pence was shown giving, giving them a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, like Obama and George W. Bush like volunteered to do it in public. I don't know if they already have, but they're like, yeah, we'll get it. Like we'll, we'll promote this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so how many do you know sorry off topic oh, yeah, do you no. know how many units have been made um so for the for the united states i think about like two million have been made but i think we just put in an order for like a few hundred million and they'll be here pretty shortly probably the next few months hopefully hmm. and so once the okay. so there's again so there's the benefit of one thing the mrna vaccines have as a there are a lot of benefits to mri vaccines one of them is that they can be made very quickly and two they're actually a lot cheaper and they tend to be more effective than conventional vaccines okay so is it just specific to the virus that this type of vaccine would work or uh i'm guessing you're going to get into that i'm going to get into that so i kind of wanted to go into the, the a brief history of vaccines and why this vaccine is pretty different um, and like, so as far as I know, this is the first mRNA vaccine that's been distributed to people like on a, on a wide basis. And for a lot of people, that's a, that's a concerning thing because they're like, well, this is a brand new thing that we're just giving to everyone. Is this, you know, dangerous or whatever, blah, blah. Yeah. I think, I think you've told me horror stories of beginning vaccines and what they've done before they change it to make it work better. So exactly, it is scary yeah. to <laughs> introduce this new mass vaccine. And not know. I don't know, you know. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, and so I think we talked about vaccines briefly before. But again, like the history mm-hmm. of vaccine was the first one. The first ones was for smallpox. And yeah, they literally like scrubbed some some old lady's scab and shoved it into a child's uh, open wound. Uh, yeah. To give uh-huh. it to him. Gross. And hopefully I don't want to remember that episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so the very first smallpox vaccines or I don't know. I want to say polio vaccines like this. That were kind of widely distributed. And if maybe your parents, if not, maybe your grandparents might remember. Um, it was basically given into a, like as a drop, like a drop on your tongue or on a, sig- on oh, a sugar really? cube. You just kind of get a little sugar cube. And that was the vaccine. Huh. And that's for polio? And that was for polio. And there were mm-hmm. some problems with that one. Not many, but some because it was just a, it's called a, a it's, it's called an attenuated live virus. So basically it was still a living virus, just really, really weakened. Um, so technically the polio virus was still pathogenic in, the, in that kind of vaccine that if you had a really weak immune system, you could actually get polio from that process from that little from drop or that sugar cube mm-hmm. <laughs> that's scary it was a little scary um but fun fact polio uh had a 95 percent chance of doing nothing to you it was asymptomatic for oh, almost really? everyone, and only but only about one percent of people who got it had like any long-term lasting effects um and people were just rushing to the doctor's office begging to get this vaccine even though it only had a 1% chance of crippling their child because that's how awful something that's 1% but everyone can get is. So interesting mm-hmm. fact about polio. Uh, 95% asymptomatic. <laughs> Very much like COVID. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Did not know that. Um, yeah. Um, it's a very terrifying name that is not so terrifying anymore. No, because of the vaccine. Um, and so, again, <laughs> yeah. the most people who had the, even the dropper vaccine were like they were vaccinated. They were fine. They never had to worry about it. There was a slight chance you could get it. And therefore, yeah, there were some people who were permanently crippled. And I would say probably even died from the exposure to the vaccine 
When um, you say slight chance, what percentage are you talking? Um, with the initial one, it was it was like zero point five percent chance that you had any kind of like polio like affliction, and so uh-huh. and of those people, you had a I think a, a like a twenty to fifteen percent chance of actually be having a long term permanent effect on your body, like being crippled. Hmm. Uh, so again, okay. it, it was very low, but it's a lot lower than actually Still getting kind polio. Of a in scary the wild. number. Uh, yeah. but still, yeah, it is, that was an unfortunate thing. And very soon after, say, I would say, that's like, sorry, what? That's like one, that's like one in every 200 and then 20% of the one out of every 200. Exactly. Right. So, yeah. That's still scary. It's still, still freaky, scary. But, um, but again, com- like com- better than the alternative, better than the alternative, especially since polio was usually asymptomatic. You never knew when you're ch- like, you couldn't, you didn't know when your child was going to be exposed to it, and therefore suddenly they're crippled like forever. So uh-huh. that's really kind of bad. Uh, but but again, that usually affected kids who are really immunocompromised. So normally, a kid who had a really weak immune system who couldn't even fight off the vaccine version of polio, if they actually encountered a wild type of polio, they had an even greater chance of dying from that. Yeah. Kind. So yeah, but still unfortunate. I think within after a few years, probably maybe a decade. Uh, we made like the injection polio, and that was using a attenuated, uh, deactivated virus that had basically, I would say, no chance of giving you any kind of infection. And for the majority of vaccines, that's the case. You get a a, a shot of what's essentially like a blended up virus that is not functional, and those little bits and pieces are then recognized by your body and then can attack it later on. Hmm. Now, because each virus is different, there are some vaccines that actually do have like live technical versions of them. But we also add a bunch of stuff in there that could that makes it virtually impossible for it to infect anybody. Um, Almost like a diluted uh, sort of. Yeah. So like so basically, if you ever look into what's in a vaccine, it seems like, oh, yeah, there's a dead virus. But also there's like probably a dozen additives into it and that's usually either mm-hmm. a to help your body recognize it as a threat or b to further insulate it to make sure if it is pathogenic which again most vaccines aren't it can't actually infect and start making more copies of itself so huh okay uh and that's and that's because like every virus is different some viruses if you blend them up into pieces you don't gain immunity from that um and that's just how the virus works for most viruses that's not the case. like for example hiv We've never made an HIV vaccine because it is very re- stubborn and resistant to all forms of vaccine production, which is why we mm-hmm. don't have one, which is unfortunate. But that's just because that's the way the virus lives. It, uh-huh. uh, it's a retrovirus, and we can get into that in a different episode. But yeah, HIV is scary. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so that's, how, and so that's how most vaccines are made. And so the mRNA vaccine is... It works in a very different way. Um, what it does is it doesn't contain any viral particles whatsoever in the vaccine. What it does have, it has a strip of, or probably, you know, probably billions or millions of strips of mRNA. And what those mRNA things do is, along with some additives, they are able to get into your cells and they're floating around there. And then a random ribosome will come up and like, oh, look, mRNA, let me read this and make a protein. And it's kind of does this thing, makes the protein. And the protein mm-hmm. it makes is the coronavirus spike protein, the little thing that allows to enter your into your cells. But that's all it makes. It doesn't make the actual virus. It just makes the spike. And so the spikes are floating around in your cell, and eventually they kind of get released, and your body's like, "What the? What are these random spikes floating around in here?" And so they find the spikes, and they're like, "Hey, this this is probably something pathogenic and evil. Uh, let's you know remember this thing and kill it the next time we see it." And then it gains immunity that way. Holy cow! So it's almost like a synthetic version of the virus. It's like it's like the arm of a virus. Um, it's not really so. The thing that makes it deadly in any way is gone. So. Uh-huh. It can't actually do anything, but it's like, yeah, it's your own body making the protein that then recognizes it as foreign and can kill it later on. So then if it ever encounters the actual protein, the actual virus, the actual spike, it, mm-hmm, it's already the, ready. It's already ready. Yeah. Uh, Holy and cow, that's really interesting. Yeah. And it's super effective. Like it's because mRNA, it doesn't last very long, uh, but because it can make like a lot of copies of itself before it gets disintegrated, um, it'll actually kind of flood your body with these things, which is why there was an advisory like, hey, if you have 
severe allergies, maybe you should wait to get this vaccine, but not a weakened immune system. Because if you have a very weak immune system, you won't ever get the COVID-19 from this vaccine because it's not from even this in there. vaccine. But you could still build an immunity to it, which is great. So when you um, say it doesn't last very long, what do you mean? The So the mRNA, the thing that gets injected into your body, mRNA, like I said, is pretty unstable. And so mm-hmm. very quickly, the mRNA is digested and broken into pieces and is gone. Uh-huh. Um, but the proteins have already been made and the immunity will hopefully be given. And so any remnants of the mRNA, so the mRNA doesn't stick in your body forever. That's the thing that mm-hmm. it's clear. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't the proteins alter. that are created and recognize it they they stick around they stick around for a little bit but then they get they get also munched uh, and disintegrated uh, as your body okay. recognizes it and again the spike itself is is harmless the virus doesn't do anything um, mm-hmm. it's not the virus it's just the spike and if it's not attached to a virus it can't actually do anything at all so so if if that's the case does that mean that this is something we should expect to receive? multiple times throughout our life or uh it tends so it's hard off that so it depends sense. on the virus usually so generally so the COVID 19 vaccine is a two-part vaccine you need to get one and then i think six weeks later you get a second shot mm-hmm. um the first shot has like a 52 percent chance of inducing immunity and the second shot has like a 99 percent chance of inducing immunity is that because like that. of the combination of the two yeah that's because of the uh-huh. combination of the two they're, they're identical they're just uh, because sometimes the uh-huh. spike protein, since it's so simple, it, it will be recognized, but it might not get a big response because it's not really causing any damage. Uh-huh. And so when it sees it the second time, it's like, oh, it's like, this is oh, here a second enemy. time. Like, this is really not good. Yeah. Like, we got to exactly. watch out for this guy again. Um, and the the how long a vaccine lasts is most it's, – it's dependent on, one, the virus itself. Because if the virus mutates enough – it'll become unrecognizable uh-huh. and therefore you can get sick from it again, i.e. the flu. That happens to the flu a lot. Yeah. Um, but coronavirus, luckily, it mutates significantly slower than the flu. Um, it still mutates. Um, but that's another reason why we chose the spike protein because the spike is something that's really not changed all that much because the way it gets into a cell has to be very specific to the cell it's infecting. Uh like, for example, a coronavirus cannot in uh, – well, let's uh, – maybe not. We don't know – we still don't know a whole lot or we yeah, we don't know everything about COVID-19. But let's say the flu. The influenza virus, it cannot infect your body except through lung cells. Like, if you got it on your hand, if you swallowed it into your stomach, if you injected it into your body, uh, you would not get the flu because it, it, it can't just attach to any old cell and infect it. It has to literally attach to a lung cell. Really? I did not know that. Uh-huh. So they're very specific in how it works. Um, this, like, that's how almost every virus works. Like, if you, like, if, if there's a stomach virus, and I mean, you shouldn't inject it, but if you inject it into your bloodstream, you wouldn't get the same disease or any disease because the stomach virus literally attaches to stomach cells, not blood cells or, or lung cells or anything. Exactly. Um, so, which is why, like, if, if someone with HIV positive, they can breathe on you and you're not going to get HIV because the virus literally cannot attach to lung cells. It uh-huh. has to attach to, you know, basically blood and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, so, the like, again, so current COVID-19, most coronaviruses, they don't mutate all that much, and which is why, again, we chose a very safe thing to boost immunity to it is to the spikes. And so if the spikes change dramatically, normally it doesn't even become infectious anymore and dies. So it's a pretty safe bet to bet on making the spike protein recognizable above everything else. Okay. And so is is that why, since it's not mutating so much, is that why the mRNA vaccine style was chosen? Or I, I guess I'm wondering why why don't we use this more often? It sounds like this is the first vaccine of this type. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. Um, so we've been studying mRNA vaccines for years. Um, but the, reason, the main reason why it's been implemented is because there haven't been any new and any need for a new vaccine for a while. Uh-huh. The most I want to say the most recent big vaccine, the most recent like widely distributed vaccine was the chickenpox vaccine, which um, is I didn't get it when I was younger. I don't know if you got it. I don't believe I did. I got the disease. Mm-hmm. Um, which puts me at risk for shingles. So I kind of missed that window. Uh-huh. Uh, but my, my siblings who are 10 years younger, they got a chickenpox vaccine and they never got chickenpox. So, uh, and that was just a normal vaccine. That was not an mRNA one. 
So yeah, there hasn't been a, a big need for a new vaccine that millions of people will get. Of stuff that's already been developed. Exactly. Yeah. And plus okay. we're like, well, the old vaccines, they work very so well. Mm-hmm. It, it's not really cost effective to research a new way to making them. To make them, yeah. If it's not broke, don't fix thing. it. Yeah, uh-huh. exactly. Yeah, vaccines are so safe. Like they are one of the the safest things you can ever do is to get a vaccine. Like again, technically there are risks of complications, but they're so minuscule and minute. It's just, it's like yeah, like wearing a seatbelt. There are people who die because they have a seatbelt on, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't wear your seatbelt because it saves the vast majority of people. Exactly. Know? So. It's that same kind of mentality. Exactly. Um, so mRNA vaccine, another reason I was chosen is because it is a lot faster to manufacture and faster to develop than other types of uh, vaccines. So generally when you need to make a vaccine in the conventional way, in order to have a live or dead version of the virus, you actually need to have the virus to begin with. Mm-hmm. And causing a virus to replicate in lab setting is actually very difficult because the settings it loves is inside a human body in in the you know in a very specific part of the body. So it, you need to kind of set the conditions perfectly to mimic that, and and that can be very difficult to do for every virus because it's different. And if you if you aren't able to do that, you can't make a vaccine because you don't have enough of it. You just mm-hmm. don't know. But with an mRNA vaccine, you don't need any live virus or dead virus or anything. All you need to know is the structure of the spike protein that it makes. And then you can replicate how to make that using DNA and mRNA very easily. That's something we do all the time. Protein synthesis from mRNA is something that we do in labs all around the country every single day. It's a very common practice. That's super interesting. So that's why it was able to be produced so quickly. So quickly. It's cheaper to make, again, because we don't have to make new viruses. And it's also, as far as we can tell, it it tends to make a longer lasting immunity because you can flood the body with all these different viral particles without a risk of actually getting the person sick. And so you can garner a very strong immune response, which usually means a stronger immunity overall. Wow, that's incredible. That's yeah, so I'm pretty cool. sure um, forward we will see more and more mRNA vaccines being rolled out because of their efficacy. That's interesting. That's way cool. Yeah. Well, so, so what you're saying is I have no reason to worry about getting the vaccine. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, and again, I was going to go on later into why it is safe to take it because there's a lot of concern over like, oh, yeah, it was made by Pfizer that's, or Moderna, depending which one you, you're talking about. Um, and the FDA gave it emergency uh, pass. So basically that indicates that the FDA didn't evaluate it for safety. Uh-huh. And so they just kind of approved it. But that doesn't mean that the FDA just kind of closed their eyes and signed a piece of paper. I was going to say, I can't believe that would be <laughs> what they did. Like, yeah. No. So this thing's going to be distributed to billions of people. So exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's the thing. That's the, I love that thing. The conspiracy theories that always get me is like the U.S. government or any government, but mostly in developed countries, they rely on the health of their citizens to be productive, to make them, if you want to go the route that government only wants money or whatever, to make them money, right? Mm-hmm. If your population is sick and dying, they're not working and the economy sucks and therefore you're getting less power, less money, less whatever. Yeah. So why would you want to introduce something that hurts the people that were making money for you? Like it doesn't, <laughs> that's the, that's where conspiracy theories tend to burn down for me. Is, yeah. Is that whole concept. Yeah. That would like, make They want to hurt us. And like, no, don't you see? They want more of you. So you pay more taxes. Like that's what they yeah. want. Right. Like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> make babies, pay me money. Exactly. Exactly. In fact, uh, it's my favorite. One of my favorite little fun facts is that in the uh, former Soviet Union or Russia, uh, whatever you want to call it, um, they have such a low birth rate. So for every couple that is able capable of reproducing, they produce zero point nine children. So n- not even Less half of what they uh-huh. need to replace themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So so you need two to replace to you. Replace now your you're making one. They're making ninety the percent exactly. of one. Uh huh. And so there's a national conception day on in Russia to boost uh, is there? birth rates. <laughs> there is. It is fantastic. Oh my gosh! Uh, they, what day is it? Yeah. It's, oh, let me look it national up. National conception. 
Uh, it's so I love it so like you know sterile and laboratory. Uh-huh. September twelfth. Yeah, I guess that's optimal day to do that. Also called procreation day. Day of conception. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I think if you yeah you receive like money you receive tax breaks you receive like free gifts if you are able to like prove that your baby was conceived around this time so that is how much they want you to have babies right that is how much they need people like <laughs> they don't need you Whoa. to die they want you to live and to work and you know and even if in a gulag but they want you to survive they don't want to kill you so. people who give birth <laughs> roughly nine days after this day often receive vehicles what like nine months after after conception day yeah yeah they're they're literally (laughs) given a car yeah they're like hey do it do it now nobody (laughs) gave me a car uh yeah i mean and again i say we do have tax breaks for our children you know that's another and getting married so there's things like that so anyway i don't know if the tax break is worth the cost but (laughs) back to the fda Uh off procreation day yeah (laughs) sorry (laughs) That was fun. So so the only way any kind of procedure or treatment or medicine can even uh, be, a, you know, a, get even close to getting emergency approval is because it has been tested using FDA guidelines the whole way through its development. So Fitzer, all the whole line, this vaccine was developed months ago. And since then, it has been just going crazy, testing it, studying it, giving it, it to tests. people. Tens yeah. of thousands of people actually in the UK and the United States in general to see if it's safe. And those results have come in and they said, you know, from everything we've seen, it seems really, really good. It seems really safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's not just like we made this brand new syringe full of some green goo. FDA, hurry you. up and sell yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, hey, we've been watching this thing for four months. We've been using your guidelines and we want permission to kind of like jump the line and get approval rather than wait two or three years until it's basically a big point. So, so what what would the stamp of approval require? It would require a few more years of analyzing? Yeah, it would require like basically, I would say at least one year of just like looking at people, making sure everything's okay, just like being really on top of everything that's already been done. Uh-huh. Because like I said, the mRNA, it disintegrates after like, I want to say at most like a week, probably really? even way sooner than that, probably within like 12 hours that mRNA is gone um, because your body heavily regulates the proteins that it makes. Uh-huh. If it has mRNA just floating around in there, it's going to get red and made into protein. And if it, if it sticks around for too long, you'll make too much of it and your body doesn't like wasting anything. And so mRNA is very unstable. It gets destroyed pretty quickly. So they are aware that, again, the effects of this is going to be very short term in the fact that there's nothing that stays in your body very long. Even the spike proteins that it codes for are pretty quickly disintegrated after they're read for as a, you know, as a potential threat. So which is, again, Oh, sorry. No, so once they're red and the mRNA is basically dissipated, like gone, mm-hmm. how, yeah. how long is the effectiveness then? And maybe I, I think I asked this already, but yeah. Um, I, yeah, so yeah. For, for the immune, how long the immunity lasts, as far as we know, it lasts at least eight months. And that's just because the vaccine has only been around for eight months. Uh-huh. So, so I'm it could pretty be sure it can last. Years could a, be. A, a, yes. Uh-huh. I mean, ideally, for some people, it might last for their whole life. And for some people, they will get no immunity because for some reason their body didn't recognize it. Um, but for So as far as we know, it's effective for that a good long while. Uh-huh. Eight months is a decent time, but it'll probably be for a year or two even. And if we're lucky, it could be lifelong. You know, like there's some vaccines you only get once when you're a baby and you'll never have to get another, even a booster one ever again uh-huh. because it's just your body reacts to it. And COVID-19, it... It seems like it's leading towards a very long-term immunity because, again, the way it tends to kill people is that it elicits such a strong immune response is that the body overwhelms its own systems with immune an immune response. Uh-huh. So it is kind of the virus itself is prone to overreaction from the immune system. That usually means that we're, we shouldn't have to worry about immunity going away anytime soon because of that. Hmm. Interesting. That's 
gave me a very different perspective on the vi- on the not the virus the vaccine <laughs> the other v word the other v no, word yeah, yeah uh vaccines yeah. so yeah again like it's just it's really hard because you hear all these buzzwords you hear like oh like the fda like just kind of have to push it like donald mm-hmm. trump he ordered them to approve it without the blah blah but uh-huh. uh and er- emergency approval has been used in the past before and again it usually I mean, I would say in every instance in the past, it's been just fine. Like, again, it's not just a random thing they're approving. They've, they've looked at the data and they say, hey, tested. this data is is adequate for me to say it's safe. Even though we're not the ones that didn't do it, it was tested using FDA guidelines. God, could you imagine if billions of it goes out and it did not meet the standards and everything <laughs> just went to shit? Like, exactly. That, like, that's that, what you don't yeah, want, right? Exactly. That's... Like, that's and and again, it's not just the United States. Like the UK has the vaccine, and their independent, you know, health service. Well, I'd say they have a a more robust uh, healthcare service industry than we do. Uh, they're perfectly fine with it. They're saying this is this is good to go. You know, mm-hmm. we we believe in the efficacy of this, and we're giving it to some of our most vulnerable and oldest people, and they they should be perfectly fine. Yeah. Again, it's mostly because the practices. Like, there's nothing in the vaccine, and I would say in, in every vaccine, but especially this one that can prove harmful because worst case scenario you get the mrna and it doesn't do anything like it's supposed to be red and if it like if it doesn't work you don't get immunity it's not like you the worst case scenario isn't that this thing is going to kill you like that just it doesn't seem very feasible because of what's inside of it Uh it doesn't have anything that could hurt you that could hurt you so again, so that's another reason why it was very easy to pass because they're like, we're looking at this thing and like it's there's nothing in there, right? It's like uh, one of my favorite terms that the FDA has is um, what is it called? It's I think it's GSA or JASA. It's like it's it's called generally regarded as safe, and basically there are some foods that we eat every day that the FDA has never tested because we've been eating them for so long, uh-huh. i.e., table salt. <laughs> table uh-huh. salt has never been approved by the FDA. Because we've been using it for so damn long, it's like, this is ridiculous. Like, we don't, it's generally assumed to be safe. We don't have to test it because it's fine. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's salt. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Um, that's not to say that there are no health drawbacks from eating too much salt, but just as like, it's not toxic, right? Exactly. Not gonna, you know, so. You're not going to die overnight. Exactly. It's just like, it's so, so they look at what's in this thing. They're like, it's safe. Like, it's, it's, it's fine because we can see the ingredients. We've seen the studies. We've seen the effects. There's nothing in it that would indicate that it will do actually any harm to people, even if it doesn't work. Uh-huh. It shouldn't hurt them. So, huh? Interesting. Yeah. So again, but you know, it's it's very common to have even even without the anti-vaccine group, which of course they're crazy about vaccines in general, uh, to have people who are wary about medicines and stuff like that yeah so. seems like there's a lot of them yeah i mean and it's true like i would say there there are problems with the fda um not big ones but like in the past there have been things that have been approved and they've then turned out to be not so great um it's not a perfect organization mm-hmm. but if you look at their track record they're usually really really good uh it's really you can find a few examples where they failed but there's also almost everything where they haven't failed in uh-huh. and things have been going yeah. Just fine. Interesting. I will have no fear. Except for of the needle. Have no fear. Um Dude, screw needles. Uh, I guess. You can get it on a sugar cube or something. So. I was gonna say, <laughs> are they gonna have a sugar cube version? Because I want that. No. But. It's the only reason why you, you shouldn't you can't have that is because the mRNA will just be annihilated by your stomach acid. <laughs> by your you know, stomach like acid. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say does make me want a sugar cube. Yeah, the only reason why that worked for a little bit for polio was because the virus was actually a little bit alive, and so it could actually survive the stomach. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, no, it's. I'm looking forward to getting the vaccine. I really, as soon as it comes out, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go for it. I don't so if if all these people it. are live streaming or like kind of advertising it, when when should the public expect it? Oh, uh, that's hard to say, but I would say probably an estimation would be April. Oh, really? I think that's a decent... Yeah, it's a while away from mass. Uh, I mean, again, if you're a healthcare worker or something, you might... Either you already have it or you might get it even sooner. Uh-huh. Um, but I feel like the time just when you can just go out to it. and uh-huh. just without an appointment grab a vaccine will probably be May or June. But I think if you really wanted it April, I think you should be able to find one and go for it. Interesting. 
something to look for. It's easier and faster to produce than most vaccines, so it's not going to be too hard to make a lot of it. But mm-hmm. and it's actually pretty cheap. The vaccine will be given for free, of course, because the American people, the American government wants us to have it. But the actual so it, cost of the vaccine is like fifteen, twenty dollars. It's okay. Yeah, I was going to say what what would the cost per unit be roughly? And so yeah, that's usually yeah, bucks. it's like twenty. I mean, I guess it depend. There's the Moderna and the Pfizer one. I think the Moderna one is like thirty five dollars. You know, again, not like a crazy Ooh, amount of money. Moderna. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> and again, the vast majority of that money is going to pay for the research, not the thing with exactly. the fluid and everything. That's almost free, as it seems to be with a lot of pharmaceuticals. Right. I'd imagine a lot of the cost of pharmaceuticals go to either investors or research time. Yes, that's generally the case. Mm-hmm. I mean, and again, I'm not saying I'm not a big, I'm not a huge fan of pharmaceutical companies. I think they, they mostly do good things, but there are some horrible things that they tend to do. Um, but in, they in general, they don't mess around with vaccines. Like that's almost every vaccine is pretty cheap because at cost. Because one thing, the the research is subsidized by the government. The government. Uh-huh. Um, and two, like it's such a important thing. Like the polio vaccine wasn't patented at all. Uh, because they wanted everyone to have it. So, uh-huh. yeah, things like that tend to go like that. But huh. Interesting. Uh, oh, another side note, even if you've had COVID-19, you should still get the vaccine. Like, you should just get it because if you, some people seem to have a weaker uh, immune response to even the virus itself. So you should get the vaccine just to double check to make sure you're immune to it. Good advice. Great advice. I told you about you my and- my stepmother's brother who donates plasma right yes you did exactly yeah, his numbers yeah, still won't go down he's making a lot of bank <laughs> yeah like i said i think the coronavirus has a tendency to elicit a very strong response and so that's why i think the vaccine will last a long time mm-hmm. because your body just really doesn't like it <laughs> does, lot, so. does not like the foreign invader no, I mean, like, again, there's some things like a chickenpox virus. Your body has a fairly, very mild response to it. Like, it can even hide in your body for, you know, decades and your body's fine with it. Uh-huh. And there are some things it just absolutely hates and kills on site, like pollen. <laughs> for some reason, it hates pollen. And that's why you get allergies is because your body's like, hey, this is a foreign invader. We must kill it and destroy it. And, so. and that's, why you, that's why you referred to it as like a protein spike, right? Or a, or yes. a virus spike. Because it's like, uh-huh. I am here, kill me. Like, Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like, hey, I'm, yeah. I'm a foreign thing. Yeah, um, I'm coming to conquer. Me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so. It's very much like a straw dummy that looks like you know, a, a, a red coat. And they're like, oh, shoot, kill it. Like, it's uh, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and now we know what the enemy looks like. Kill all red coats. Like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's funny. Good tactic. It's a great tactic. It works yeah. very well. It's very effective. Cool. Awesome. I will have no fear. I will get the virus. All right, not get the virus. I will get the vaccine. The other virus. No, yeah, have fear of the, the other virus. The virus, as, yes. as far as we know, what was what it? Um, do you know, oh, what's his name? The guy who plays the, the uh, from Breaking Bad, the main actor, Brian Walter Cranston. Walter White? Yeah, That's Brian Cranston. He got the virus in April. I think I already, I may have already told you this. Uh-uh, this but doesn't in sound April and then in like early November, he he said that he was then able to taste things again. Oh, yeah. Uh, he lost his sense of taste for, for a while. And yeah. some people it seems to be hopefully not, but permanent. So, yeah, and that's just the least of your concern. Um, sometimes there's like long term lung damage. A, a member of the U.S. Department of Defense lost a leg. Because the virus hurt him so much. Really? It was is that because like a blood clot or something that formed? Or? Yeah. So if the immune response gets so strong, it'll start flooding the system with things like that, and yeah, it'll uh-huh. mess with blood flow and things like that. Oof, and yeah, he lost a leg scary. to it. So I mean, he was older, but still, he's like a top government official. He has the best medical care, and he lost yeah. a leg. Like that's horrible. That is scary. So, that's freaky. No joke. Don't. Yeah. It's, don't mess with the virus. Yeah. Like, again, we we've known about it for such a short period of time. We really don't know the long term effects of this thing. It could be uh-huh. that everyone has gotten it is is in a heap of trouble, which is not good. But hopefully, that's not the case. Yeah. So even now more than ever, avoid getting it because you're so close to the finish line, right? Like it's so close to getting the vaccine. 
it'd be the worst thing to get it like a, a month before you. Oh, that'd be, oh, and if you got it, well, I guess we'll wait and see. Yeah, you should. <laughs> I think you'll be fine, hopefully. Yeah. But you're a ticking time bomb, basically. Yeah, How's exactly. Good luck? Yeah, yeah. And the end the show with a little optimism for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little optimism. If you exactly. got it, hey, you're going to be dead anyway. So yeah, we're all don't worry. Die, so yeah, in a hundred years, don't even remember your name. Don't worry. <laughs> that is so sad. Your bones will be dust. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, we need to end it before. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Best ending ever. <laughs>